I absolutely love the Bible. Is there anybody in this place that loves the Bible? All right. When, when I woke up this morning, I'm not going to lie, I woke up in a little bit of a fog, rough weekend, um, scary weekend. And the first thing that I did this morning was get coffee. But then after the coffee, I just opened up God's word. And in the midst of, and, and this morning wasn't anything revelatory, got to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't anything that I just said, oh man, that's going to change my life. This morning was in the midst of my pain and my fear, I still read the word and the promises of God. And I said, God, you are so faithful. And I read in the Psalms where it's just talking about the faithfulness of God. And I kind of declared it over my own life this morning as we're still trying to figure out how all this is going to come together for my kid, right? And so God is faithful. Now, I love the word of God. Now, one of the things that I love about the word of God is every time I see the book of Revelation, I see this beautiful picture of the, the community of God, the people of God. And in the book of Revelation, it's also got like things like with like seven-headed dragons and stuff like that. And I'll leave Pastor Mike, he's an expert on that. He knows exactly what to do with all the seven-headed dragons and the weird things that happen in the book of Revelation. But for me, I get to talk about this beautiful picture of unity. There's this beautiful picture in the book of Revelation. Almost everywhere you look in the, in the book of Revelation, when we see worship happening, we see worship, and it talks about worship from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so what's awesome about the book of Revelation is we're getting a glimpse not of what some faraway place is going to be like, we get a picture of what heaven is going to be. And what I mean, not some faraway places, we've got to understand this theologically, is that when we're praying for the kingdom of God to be established on earth as it is in heaven, when we get to a point where we see heaven, we are going to see heaven established right here in Charlotte. Do you understand that? Like we're not going like some far ethereal place. We are praying that heaven is experienced right here, and one of my favorite theological terms, and I've got it for you so you guys can write it down, is already and not yet. Okay, so there's, this, there's these theologians that talk about this concept of already and not yet. And when Jenny was leading us in worship this morning, we experienced something already. We experienced the beauty of God. I felt it when I was sitting there just trying to work through my emotions, even during worship this morning. And I was like, my goodness, one of these days in Revelation 21, it says that there's going to be no more hurting and no more pain and no more suffering, no more division. And we get to experience that in these moments where we go to God. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, listen, my wife tells me that I need to bring a bubble machine everywhere that I go because you, you guys are looking at me like, when's this message going to get hard, right? Like, when are we going to really get into the hard stuff? So she says that every once in a while during the message, I need to just, like, let bubbles go in the air because nobody can be, like, tense with bubbles, all right? We're, we're moving towards the beauty of God in this message, okay? Uh, so, so I can't do bubbles either because then everybody will, like, you know, like, blowing bubbles during COVID. That doesn't work either. Blowing bubbles through a mask. Have you ever tried that one? So the concept of already is that we get to experience the beauty of God right now. And it's absolutely stunning, and it doesn't make any sense. Philippians 4 talks about the fact that we can fix our eyes on Christ, and no matter what's going on around us, that we can have the peace of God. That's the already that these theologians talk about, right? But then there's the not yet. Let's put it back up there one more time. We've got the not yet. Now, this is what happens, is that we already experience the kingdom of God when we are in this teaching in, in small groups and when we're diving into and enjoying a meal together and we're talking about the beauty of God. But then all we have to do is flip on the news or maybe go to a family reunion and talk about politics, you know? Like, it, and all of a sudden, you start feeling this division. 
right? You start feeling this brokenness of the world. And this is what I want to remind us, guys. When God gave us this message through Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. That's a verb. Blessed are... So my overarching question for you this morning is, are you a peacemaker, or better yet, are you making peace? So this is the passage that we're going to look at this morning, uh, among others. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Welcomed into this beautiful family. And so if we have this command here that says, blessed are the peacemakers, I think the question that I would just love for you guys to kind of chew on, one question throughout the whole week as we're thinking about this, am I making peace? Am I a peacemaker? Now, my grandmother makes the most beautiful dish in the entire world. My, my grandfather immigrated from uh, the Philippines, uh, great-grandfather immigrated from the Philippines, which is where we got this weird spelling, because in the Philippines, it was D-U-C-I-S-I-N, Dukasin. And then when they got to New Orleans, which is where they settled, they said, that doesn't look American enough. And so they did, I don't think the guy could spell that, changed the name of my family, D-O-C-U-S-E-N, Dukasin. And so they settled there, but he met this little tiny four foot eleven woman named Ernestine that made the world's best gumbo. Does anybody know what gumbo is? Gumbo is this magical dish that takes 24 hours to cook. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, right? My grandmother would take the most fresh uh, vegetables and chicken and sausage, and she would put it all together, and she would make this thing called roux, which is like the sauce that goes into it, and you put it all together, and it just, like, teases you for, like, 24 hours, and the smells go through the air and stuff like that. And the key to my grandmother's gumbo is there's a lot of different ingredients that went into it. And then when it was done, 24 hours later, we would all get around this big pot of gumbo, and we would be like, oh, man, it is on, Right? It's the same thing with peacemaking. There's a lot of different things that go into this. There's a lot of, there's perspectives that we need to check. There's, there's different things in our heart that we need to check because we're not going to get that gumbo of peace unless we put a bunch of ingredients into it. And so we need to explore some things and we need to pull from some different parts of scripture this morning so that we can look around at the different ingredients that go into making Peace, because if we're going to make peace, it means that we have to actively, this is a verb, this is actively something that we need to be looking towards. Now, there's this old guy named St. Augustine, all right? Not, not the city in Florida. There's a, there's, a, there's a father of the faith named St. Augustine, and this is what he says. He says that when we pursue peace, we become the kingdom of God. Now, this is really important. When we pursue peace, it doesn't mean that when we're peaceful all the time, because in the brokenness of this world, we have the already where we do it right, and then we've got the not yet where we screw it up, all right? And it says that when we pursue peace, we become the kingdom of God. What this means is that when we mess up, we've got to have the heart to say, you know what, if I want to be a peacemaker, one of those instincts that I have to have is I need to have the instinct to pursue peace by apologizing, or pursue peace by being a little bit more curious about what's going on in the world around me. When we look at this culture and everything that's going on, how many of you guys know that the enemy is prowling around like a lion and he's waiting for the moment that he can pounce on you and divide you? And do we have that same type of instinct to wake up today and say, if the enemy is that active trying to divide me, am I doing my part to pursue peace? Because it says, blessed are peacemakers, 
You don't just become peace. You have to pursue peace. And you're going to mess up, and, we're gonna, and, and all of a sudden we're going to do something, and it's going to feel like, oh, man, I just messed that up, and I'm going to, you know, I need to apologize to that person. Or I need to learn a little bit more so that I can understand what's going on in the world around me. So when we pursue peace, we become the kingdom of God. Now, I know I told you there was one question that I had for you, but I'm going to give you another one. You can think of this as maybe the, second, the secondary one, right? So are you making peace? The second question that I would have for you this morning is, are you focused on the one thing, the one thing that Jesus said was the most important thing out of everything else? And that's what I want to dive into this morning, is are we focused on the one thing? Because here's the deal, y'all, and I want you guys to catch this, all right? You woke up to a God today that loves you. He is for you. He goes before you. He's fighting battles for you that you can't even see. He is powerful, and he is strong. Amen? And you also woke up to an enemy that absolutely hates you and is going to do everything that he possibly can to get at you. Now, let me ask you this question. If the enemy knows what this one thing is, if we believe that we're in a battle every single day that we have a God that loves us and he's powerful and he's with us and he's for us, but we also have an enemy that hates us and is actively pursuing to disrupt peace and to bring brokenness into our life, what do you think the biggest plan of the enemy would be? It would be to go after the one thing that Jesus said was the most important. So let's dive into that this morning. Let's start in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to a debate that Jesus was having, and this was in a public square. He realized that Jesus answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, just a little bit of context for you guys as we're looking at this passage, okay? The context of the scripture is so important. I want you guys to imagine, this is the way that Jesus would teach, is that the, 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 the terrain was really hilly, all right? So why don't you guys actually just close your eyes for a moment. I want you guys to imagine some, a hillside, and then down into a little valley, and then kind of going up into another hill. I want you to imagine a group of maybe, I don't know, 10 or 20 or 50 or 5,000. I have no idea how many people were here that day. But here's Jesus in the middle of this valley, and he's teaching. And people would have kind of gone around on the hillside, and they would have been listening, and so that's the scene that is set. You guys can open up your eyes, all right? So you guys got it in your mind? Bunch of people around. Jesus is down in this little valley area, and he's able to kind of teach up into the, into the hills. And so now somebody comes up into this moment, and it's an expert in religious law. It's a lawyer. Now, it's different, a little different than what we think of right now as a lawyer, because the lawyer back in that day would have been incredibly influential um, at every level. Religious, political, um, uh, financially, they would have been very well off because they centered their entire life around religious law. And so when Jesus is being asked by this man very publicly, what's the most important thing? He's being asked to identify the most important thing. Anybody know how many commands there were in the scriptures at this time? How many laws there were to choose from? It was over 600 laws. And now this lawyer is saying to Jesus, like, What's the most important one out of all of them? And to this day, Pastor Mike, I still don't know if the guy was trying to, like, get him in a gotcha moment, you know, like, gotcha, you know, or if he was just genuinely curious. This guy seems smart. And so he says, what's the most important command? And so that's the context. Now, here's the deal. Jesus didn't make a habit of going around talking about himself, saying that he was the Messiah, because he knew that if that word got out, he was getting killed. And so for him to say in this moment, 
And to address this with authority was a big deal, and it was very public, all right? And it's also very important for us to know for today, if Jesus is going to answer this, what's the most important thing? Are you focusing on what the most important thing is? Like every day, are you waking up and saying, I'm going to pursue the one thing that Jesus said was most important? So let's keep on going with this. We started off in 1228. Let's go ahead and move on here. And you must uh, uh, love the Lord with all your soul, uh, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what he answers is the most important thing. But he doesn't stop there because in verse 31, this is what it says. All right? It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's go to the next one right there. Boom. You see that? See what I did with my finger there? The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. This is super important for us to catch what's going on here. Jesus has just identified the one thing that we can wake up every day and say, God, if I don't do anything else well, let me do this. Let me wake up today and let me, let me just love you with every part of my heart, every part of my soul, and help me to love my neighbor well. Now again, as we're looking at this passage and we're seeing that Jesus is putting a highlight on loving him with full passion and loving each other well, what do you think the enemy is waking up every single day trying to do to you? And he's successful at it many days. In my life too, I gotta be honest, in my life too, So if the greatest plan of the Lord is to get us to focus on one thing, to love God with all our heart and all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, then that means that the enemy is getting up every, well, maybe the enemy doesn't sleep. You're getting up every day to an enemy that is trying to distract you. Think about yesterday. Think about today. He's trying to distract you from your love for God. He's trying to make you feel separated from each other. He's trying to sow seeds of discord. Maybe the last thing that you saw last night was a political post. Guys, we are doing a peacemaker sermon in one of the most volatile elections, maybe the most volatile election seasons that we've ever had. And so what I would ask you guys today, as a son of this house, as a part of the family, is I would ask you, are your actions making peace? Because we can look at this and say, oh, I'm just giving my opinion or, or, oh, I just want to make sure I correct everybody else. But I would ask you, are your actions, your conversations, your online activity, is it making peace? Like my grandma's gumbo, it's going to take some, 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 some different ingredients in there. And so we're going to need some things like some courage for us to be able to enter into conversations with people. It's going to take some patience for us to understand what's actually going on. It's going to help us to develop some curiosity for us to be able to engage with people that are different than us. But what I would ask you guys is, are you playing party to the thing that God said was most important, which is to love him with full passion and to love our neighbors as ourselves? self or are you playing party with the enemy and allowing him to distract you from your love for God and making you feel different, better than, or less than your neighbor? Now, guys, if I had my bubble machine, I would hit it right now, okay? And everybody would just have, like, we'd be popping bubbles right now because I I want us to be reminded of this. 
that we are having conversations when we engage the word of God that are moving us towards his beauty. When we address things in our own heart that have led to a lack of peace or we address things that are attached to racial or economic injustice or we see things on the news about black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter and all of a sudden we feel this angst and we feel this fear and we fear this anger that is coming up inside of us that's never from the Lord. Because what we should be doing is having conversations that move us towards God's beauty. And it moves us, and our actions are so important. Because the thing is, is none of us, like no one in this room, and, and hello to everybody who's joining us online. I forgot to do that. Hi, everybody. I'm still getting used to this, okay? Um, but those of us that are joining us here today and online, or maybe later, none of us are exempt from the call to be a maker of peace. So if you forget everything else that I'm saying today, and I hope you don't, but if you forget most of it, please remember to ask yourself the question, to take it on, to wear it like a coat. Am I making peace with my actions? And then that second question would be, if Jesus said, he didn't say love God, watch this, he didn't say love God and neighbors. He said love God and neighbors. Because you cannot love God with, these cannot be separated. You cannot love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength if it doesn't naturally lead you to loving other people. Because he has always called us to be a part of a community. And I'm going to preach right now because this is what, watch what I'm about to do here, right? I'm getting real good at the Hope Church message. We're better together. I want to finish right there. I just made that up. I mean, I just, I'm like, all right, see you later. You know. <laughs> but seriously, we're better together. He's called us to be together, right? Everybody take a deep breath. Wait, COVID, keep that breath in. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. Now, here's the deal. For us to truly love God, for us to be makers of peace with our neighbors, I think there's something that we actually have to do. We need, we need to understand that there's some perspectives that have been invested into us. And, and I am gonna, I'm going to go in a little bit here. There's some, there's some perspectives that we have formed over the years that have been passed on to us. This is called implicit bias. All right, it's one of my nerd terms for you. Implicit bias means that there are perspectives and things that have been invested into you from people that you love. Oh, see, they're mad. You see that? They're mad. They're mad. They're angry. <laughs> I knew it. It happens every service. It's okay. Bye. I love you. Um, somebody check on them. Um, there are things that happen growing up. Um, I grew up in a home where people who were different than me were referred to as those people. There's distance there. There was me and my family, middle class, upper middle class, depending on the season of life. And then there was those people. Now, as a child, I didn't, even, I didn't even know I was there. That's something that's called implicit bias. So in the book, I talk about the story where I was walking down the street. This is just a few years ago. I'm in the middle of pastoring a church that is right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor, predominantly white across one street, predominantly black 
across the other street. Generational poverty pervasive across this one street and then across the street from that $500,000 home. So we are seeing this every single day. I was studying racial and economic injustice. Watch how, watch how deeply seated implicit bias is. I was speaking on this stuff. I was going all over the country talking about this stuff. I was challenging my church. Let's open up our hearts and explore this. And I saw a couple walking down Tryon Street right in the middle of uptown Charlotte. And it was like this couple that kind of looked like me and my wife. And I smile at them and I, I instinctively had this thought, well, I could be friends with them. And I was like, hey, what's up? You know, like, and I just kept on walking. And then just a few moments later, somebody who was very different than me was wearing two backpacks, a disheveled face, unshaven, weathered, very different than me, I instinctively took four steps to the left and I put my head down and my actions said, I'm not to be bothered. So in one moment, I instinctively said, oh, I could be friends with them. And then somebody who was very different than me walked by and I felt unsafe. I was in the middle of a major city with tons of people around and I instinctively did not smile at somebody and made sure that I wasn't to be bothered. The psalmist David helps us with this. I call this a prayer of implicit bias. It's in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24, and this is what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, here's what's important about this passage. It doesn't say, Lord, I'm coming to you asking for forgiveness for X, Y, Z. He's saying, Lord, would you search me? Because there's some perspectives that I've formed over the years that in this culture of civil unrest and in this culture of mask or no mask, in this culture where we have so much divisiveness, there's things inside of me that I don't even know why I respond the way that I respond. And so what I would say is, are we courageous enough to pray the prayer that David prayed? He's saying, Lord, if you'll show it to me, then I can ask you for your forgiveness. If you can show me the way that I have, um, let, let's put it this way. If there's anything inside of you that makes you feel better than anybody else, you need to pray this prayer. Somebody asked me this question straight up. I'll never forget it. And I want you to instinctively, please don't blurt this out because you might be sitting next to them, all right? But they asked this question, and I'm gonna ask you this question, and I want you to instinctively just answer it in your mind. Who do you think you're better than? Who do you think you're better than? Because we all have this instinct if we're just honest with ourselves and it's not from the Lord. Because Genesis 127 says that all of us are created in the image of God. Every single one of us created in the image of God. And so we've got this other nerd term of mine. It's called inattentional blindness. It means that we have things that we see all around us that we can no longer see because all of a sudden, we only see the things that we think we need. So like I, I needed a chainsaw one day when one of those hurricanes came and parked on top of Charlotte for a little while. Some trees came down in my backyard. And there, my, my buddy was like, go over to Big Earl's, get a chainsaw. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I had Big Earl's, it's right around the corner. It's like a tenth of a mile from our house. And I was like, There's no, I've lived here for a long time. There's no Big Earl's. And he's like, would you just stop talking, go to Big Earl's. He'll give you a great deal. And he's got some great stories about our town, right? 
So I go over there, and sure enough, what was right around the corner that I've passed by more times than I can count, Big Earl's. I never needed a chainsaw until that moment. Now I see it all the time. That's inattentional blindness. If you haven't grown up in a culture where you are forced to address the issues that you see on the news, you have some inattentional blindness. And I think that what we have here, there's two words that I want to, to speak over Hope Church this morning, is courage and curiosity. I speak that over you in the name of Jesus to every person that is in this place today, every person that is joining us online, every person that will join us later, every single person in this place, I pray for courage and curiosity. Courage to address conversations, courage to address things that maybe it just starts with a book. I literally wrote this book with a Christian in mind that maybe hasn't explored topics of racial and economic injustices. And how does the beauty of God pull us forward into loving our neighbors well? That's why I wrote the book. Maybe we start there, all right? And you have no excuse because I, just, I literally just told you, I'll give it to you today. If you can't afford it, take it. Because I love you and I want, I want you to grow, right? And so the beauty of God pulls us forward. Conversations that are divisive drag us backwards. And Jesus is always pulling us toward this beautiful thing that I talked about at the beginning. He's always pulling us forward towards the reality of heaven on earth. And I guess what I would say to you is, are you making peace with your actions? Right? Have I said that yet? Are you a part of that action verb? Now, here's a couple of things that I want to share with you guys. Um, the first being a quote from a dear friend of mine who I've met once in my life, but he's so energetic and makes everybody feel so special. And he looks like this all the time, Bob Goff. He says this, how's your faith working for everyone around you? <laughs> Bob, he has this book called Love Does. It's the most whimsical book. He literally, that's his resting face, is that, you know? Just a permanent smile. I've, I've spent one day with him, and he is as joyful as that picture, right? And, and balloons. He loves balloons and bubbles, too, so we could get along. So if you say that you love Jesus... Does your life look like the one thing he said was the most important? Do your neighbors feel that? Do your neighbors feel it when they read your post? If you got that thing off your chest that you wanted to say, how's your faith working for the people reading that? Because guys, we are called to be makers of peace. And the promise is that I get to be a child of God. And I want my babies, I want my babies to grow up to have the best attributes that I have. And I want them, and I tell them this, I want you to learn from the things that I'm doing wrong. But here's the thing about being a child of God. He doesn't have any negative attributes. So I want to grow up to be like my daddy. I want my boy Jack, who's sitting there with his arm elevated right now, this is the same kid that looked at me a few weeks ago and said, Daddy, I want to do everything you do. And are we saying that about God the Father? So if he says that he wants you to be a maker of peace and that you get to be called a child of God, are your actions in this horrendous, hellacious, divisive culture, is it so distinctly different that your life just 
is so effervescent with this aroma of peace and beauty and the love of God just emanating from you? Or are you bringing divisiveness with the words and the actions because you feel defensive. Can you pray this prayer of David that says, Lord, open up my heart and just let me see what I, I don't even know if I'm wrong right now, but just let me see. It's a great thing to do right before you post that thing on Facebook. Lord, search my heart. Am I just being defensive? I, <laughs> I have rarely regretted pausing when I have an opinion. I have, I, I can't count how many times I've regretted just quickly saying what I thought. Because last time I checked, a little 10 or 20 second prayer has never hurt me, right? So to be a maker of peace, I would say that the two best ingredients in my grandma's gumbo are her seasoned sausage that she threw in there and this somehow magically seasoned chicken. And for you guys, what I would say is as you're making this stew of peace, I speak courage over you to engage in topics that maybe you don't understand. And I speak curiosity over you to really care about your neighbor. Maybe instead of being defensive and what was passed on to you from mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, teacher, uncle, uh, influential mentor in your life that had a perspective that made you feel different than somebody else, maybe you could have curiosity instead of defending yourself, to say, hey, tell me more about that. And I know this is kind of weird in COVID, but COVID's not going to last forever in the name of Jesus, right? But would you say the same thing to somebody face-to-face -face that you would post? Would you say the same thing to somebody face-to-face -face that you would say in a group of friends that's like an echo chamber, that they all have the same perspective as you? Because relationships change the way that we look at issues. Let me say it like this. Issues are no longer issues when they become relationships. Now, all of a sudden, it's something to explore and to go back and forth on. It's not an issue to just have an opinion on. And so in this culture today, I would ask you, are you making peace? Just a couple of things as I'm closing out here. I want you to throw up this slide that talks about blessed are the peacemakers. There's just five things here. The first one is look inward. I think that the first thing that we can do is we're looking to be peacemakers in our culture. Before we start addressing issues that are outside of our own hearts, let's look at our own hearts first. Pray that prayer of David. Search my heart. Help me to know where I might be offensive to you or to others. Search my heart, God. The second one is education is action. I had a friend of mine say to me, David, I am too exhausted right now to explain to you what's been going on with all of this stuff. Um, as being a black woman gr growing up in this culture. This was five years ago. Somebody said this to me. I'm too exhausted because I'm your friend. I'm not here to be your educator. I want to be your friend. And I don't want to relive this pain every single time you want to open your eyes. And she said, if you'll go read a book and spend four or five hours just exploring the topic, then I'll talk with you. And I was offended at first because I was like, why is she talking to me like that? Like what? I I'm just curious. I want to know until I realized she gave me a great gift. And that gift was honesty. And it was, I need to show her that I'm willing to do my part to understand somebody that comes from a different background than me. And that was a beautiful relationship that was formed. So education is action. Take your time. 
I mean, just, just because all of a sudden now we have all the civil unrest and we see all this stuff coming up and maybe you start taking some steps forward, it probably doesn't mean to start an organization next month, right? It probably means, like, come along some, along some, some, alongside somebody like Mel who's been loving and serving this neighborhood, just building relationships. Hope Church is going to feed 26,000 people this year, right? 26,000 people. Say, Mel, how can I serve? How can I, how can I engage in relationships? Because relationships are what are going to change the tide. Now, this is just an aside. I didn't have this in my notes. I want you guys to, to, to know this. This neighborhood and this city can change because cities are made of people, right? So let's start with our own heart first. Take your time. Um, this is one of my favorite ones. Then, Mike, I'm going to have you come up here in just a second. Uh, don't be a slacktivist. Uh, I found this on Urban Dictionary. I wouldn't spend too much time on Urban Dictionary because it's got some bad words on there, but this is actually really funny. <laughs> um, um, Urban Dictionary um, is... Uh, says that a slacktivist is the combination of a slacker who's just lazy and an activist who wants to make change, right? So, so we see activists and they, they go out in the streets and they, they raise their fists and they say, we want to see a system changed, right? And then a slacktivist is somebody who would just sit here and talk about the issues and never engage in relationships. So don't be a slacktivist, right? Don't just talk about it, be about it. Don't just talk about it. Engage in relationships with people that are different than you, right? And then the last thing that I will say, is that all of this points to the most important thing, and we can rest in this, that even this morning, as I'm here to talk about making peace, what this really centers around is not this election. It's not the cultural upheaval that we've seen. It's about finding a way to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We can rest because we rest in Jesus. Mark chapter 4 says that whether the farmer is, a work, is at work or at rest, the Lord's always bringing forth the harvest. And so, Jesus, we know that we can rest in you. Lord, I pray, God, this word over Hope Church. I pray courage and curiosity. Lord, I pray the one question that has been so on my heart are actions indicative of us making peace? Am I a peacemaker? Am I focused on the one thing that you said was most important? And so, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to address these things, the curiosity to engage with our neighbors. But more than anything else, I pray that we would learn how to rest in you. I think there's some people here today, maybe joining us online, or maybe you're here in person, whatever you heard about Jesus that wasn't beautiful, whatever you saw about Jesus that wasn't delightful, wasn't Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that even if there's somebody here that needs to accept you today or explore accepting you as their Savior, Lord, that they would find rest in their soul in you. And I pray that over this church family that they would find rest, that we would pursue peace. It's not always going to be perfect, but if we're pursuing it, we're becoming the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, I pray the kingdom of God would be established in Hope Church as it is in heaven. Amen.